welcome to the Acupuncture Outsider podcast. My name is Richard Hazel, and in the time it takes for you to commute to or from work, I hope to have shared something of interest about orthopedic acupuncture using motor points, trigger points, myofascial slings, uh, neurofunctional acupuncture, segmental treatments, anything that crosses my mind that seems to be of interest. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Acupuncture Outsider. This is Richard Hazel. I am recording from a hotel room in Sydney, Australia. I just finished teaching a four-day course on motor points and trigger points for head, neck, jaw, shoulder, upper extremity issues. And uh, uh, we had a good time. It was a it was a great four day seminar. It's uh, four days is probably the longest I've ever taught without a break. Usually we do like three, and then a day off, and then we'll do two more. Um, but I got through it, and uh, thanks to things like melatonin, I was able to <laughs> sleep enough to um, to hopefully make sense in class. Um, so some of the things, some of the feedback I got from people who attended, um, one one that I heard more than once was that people appreciate having extra time on hands-on practice. Um, it's interesting because I, you know, since I've been teaching motor points, I don't really go to any of the courses of other people who teach motor points um, just feel kind of weird. And um, I, so I, ha I don't really know what people teach or how they teach. So I get some feedback sometimes about what other people have seen in other courses. And so they really like having lots of hands-on time. And I think um, we probably were able to provide four or more hours of hands-on time each day. I think we probably approached five hours a day. So somewhere between 16 and 20 hours of hands-on time in this four-day course, which was great. It was great. And, and it was nice that people felt like they weren't rushed and they had time to work with their partners on things that were challenging and come back to them later if they needed to and get instruction from us, uh, those of us who were helping. Um, I think it went really well. One person said it's the, you know, if you go to a course and it's mostly lecture, he said it's the difference between learning to paint with canvas and paints in front of you or just watching a show about learning to paint. He said, you really got to have the tools in your hands to really learn. And so I really, I like that analogy. Uh, I feel like that's the case with acupuncture. You really, you really learn the most when you're, when you're doing it yourself. And hopefully you miss a few times because that's when you really learn the correction that gets you the right location for what you're attempting to do. And um, 
So hopefully that uh, hopefully that uh, was the experience of everyone who came. Um, I was thinking a little bit about um, yeah some of the other feedback I got was people feel like my explanations are very clear and straightforward, not convoluted, and um, I think people like it if you can explain something that's complex to the depth that's necessary to understand its complexity and then boil it down to the simple things that we need to know in order to remember and apply it. Um, I've been teaching myself complex things since um, the early 90s. I, when I was, uh, when I had a music degree uh, as a, ba a bachelor's degree, um, in music, but I got into working in tech companies in the early 90s. Um, it became clear that I was good with computers and the, uh, the IT person there at the company I was at said that I should consider studying technology because I, I could get a well-paid uh, desktop support job if I would do that. So I just bought books on TCP IP networking and Windows NT server and um, how um, how networks work, um, lots of things like that. So I really kind of taught myself and was able to get into some internet startups and kept learning. They would send me to training and then I would read on my own. And um, I was really good at learning complex things. And I became an acupuncturist after my acupuncturist found out that I had been studying Chinese medicine on the side, like reading all sorts of books, trying to understand um, five elements and yin and yang and, and uh, the Zhang Fu patterns and things like that. He said, well, if you're studying that much, you should just be an acupuncturist. Um, so you kind of know what happened there. And um, even in acupuncture school, I would learn and I did graduate at the top of my class. There were five of us who tied for the highest grade point average. And, um, and so I studied really hard on the curriculum, but I was still always buying books from other acupuncturists about things like orthopedics. So I was reading all of that on the side, um, taking seminars when I could, especially if it was in the school that I was studying at. Um, and really just, I really wanted to learn as well as possible. So I'm, I'm familiar with how to teach myself. And I think some of how I've learned to teach myself translates to how I teach, because if you want to remember concepts, you actually have to have some sort of, um, conceptualization of that concept that you can hold on to. If you understand thoroughly how something really works, then it's easy to remember. You don't have to have mnemonics and lists in your head. You don't have to memorize. You just need to understand the concept and, and, and grasp it so that it becomes simple to work on a complex issue. Um, it's for me, it's the same with languages. I'm always studying foreign languages. If you want to learn foreign languages, you can't 
memorize vocabulary. You have to visualize the vocabulary. It has to actually, you have to tie a word to an image or an action or a thought so that you can actually think in that language. And it's the same with, really, I think every concept, every kind of complex concept, you need to understand it um, to that level that you're not memorizing, you just know. So I hopefully, when I'm teaching, I, I do use um, medical diagnoses very often as a concept, as a contextualization of an issue. But then hopefully I tell people that whatever you're calling this problem, as long as it doesn't need surgery, it really almost doesn't matter. Because for, in, let me just give an example. Um, I want to, in order to teach all of the motor points of the upper extremity, I conceptualize it in the context of tennis elbow, mostly for extensors, and then golfer's elbow, mostly for flexors. Um, and of course, it's good to have those concepts, those muscles in your mind for treating tennis elbow. And it's good to have the same muscles for golfer's elbow. But the most important thing is to understand what muscles cross the lateral epicondyle or, or connect to the lateral epicondyle and what, what muscles cross or connect to the medial epicondyle so that regardless of the diagnosis, if it's tendinopathy or tendinitis, or in some cases like the olecranon, it could be a bursitis, um, it almost doesn't matter what the doctors are calling it. You know that there's pain, inflammation, and dysfunction. And really, the underlying goal uh, with almost every orthopedic condition is to restore function to the dysfunctional joint that's causing pain. The pain, the tendinopathy, the tendinitis, the bursitis, the arthritis are symptoms of the problem. And if you don't need surgery, we should be able to restore mobility, restore the joint function and range of motion, which will eliminate the pain. And that's actually uh, the business name that I chose is range of motion acupuncture. And that was because Yanda explained that he wasn't directly trying to treat pain. He, he saw pain as the symptom of joint dysfunction. So the way you resolve joint dysfunction is to understand the muscle imbalances that are causing the joint dysfunction. Usually some group of muscles are overworked, short and tight, and another group of muscles are inhibited and weak, not stabilizing. So when you have less stability, then you have muscles that overwork in order to stabilize because they're not the main stabilizers, and now they have to overwork to stabilize. And those are the muscles that are going to get tight and cause pain and joint dysfunction. So you have to address both. You want to resolve the periphery and then 
stabilize proximally at the core. So that we were talking about that um, this past weekend. Um, the scapular stabilizers are the, are the most proximal. And then if those become weak, then as you go distally, you will see dysfunction from overuse. So it's my opinion that the diagnosis name is less important than understanding the function of the joint that you're trying to uh, correct so that you can restore mobility, range of motion, and then uh, basically resolve the pain. So for something like um, olecranon bursitis, which is going to be pain on the elbow, on the tip of the elbow, if you ever set your elbow down on the table and you have searing pain, that's the olecranon that's hurting. It's probably more likely a tendinopathy than it is a bursitis. But, you know, if, it, if it's left uh, long enough, I imagine that bursa can get irritated and have inflammation. And then you do have bursitis. But on a lot of people, it's an acute pain that will eventually resolve itself because it's just a, sh a short-term tightening of the long head of the tricep. So if you have somebody with that olecranon bursitis pain on the elbow, it really, in my opinion, doesn't matter if it's tendinopathy or bursitis. I don't change how I treat based on that. I'm still going to treat the long head of the tricep and probably the other two heads of the tricep because if the long head got tight, the other two probably did too. So I treat all three heads. Um, and you can then, if, if it is not resolving or staying resolved, then you might want to look at some shoulder um, issues. But on many, many people, this sort of issue is an acute injury. It's from overuse. It's some sort of um, overuse from you know, lack of stabilization in the shoulder. But it, if it's just, uh, if, it's just if, you can re if you can resolve it and it doesn't come back, then don't worry too much, in my opinion, about shoulder stabilization. It was an overuse injury that happened one time and usually in the gym, usually doing something and fatiguing everything uh, that's proximal, that's supposed to be stabilizing. Then they get injured. It's not really a long-term instability. It's just probably doing too much for too long. So, um, so yeah, so the way I look at a lot of injuries is if it doesn't need surgery, I should be able to just restore joint function. And regardless of it being called a, a tendonitis, a tendinopathy or bursitis or arthritis, I'm going to treat joint mobility and I'm not going to worry about the diagnosis. Um, I know some people, based on what I've heard, will put needles directly into a joint or around a joint for certain things, certain conditions, um, arthritis, uh, maybe bursitis around the bursa, something like that. Um, and that's all good. That, that's fine. If people, people should do whatever they think is the best thing for the patient. And if that's what they believe, then uh, go for it. 
my experience has been that if they get off the table and they're pain free, then my job is done. And if I didn't put needles around the, the hip bursa or into the eyes of the knee and they're pain free, then I've accomplished the same thing just with maybe fewer needles. So that's why I don't do a lot of that is because if I'm already getting the result that my patients came for, then I didn't do too much or too little. Um, so just, I'll just put that out there. It's, I understand the concern that if we don't do enough, they won't get better, but I don't think addressing things, um, with needles that you believe are going to have an anti-inflammatory effect locally are necessary. I, I think restore the joint function, restore the joint range of motion and don't, don't worry so much about trying to treat local inflammation. Um, it seems to me that if you can restore the function of the joint, you're taking pressure off of the joint and, and because of that, you'll have less inflammation, therefore less tendonitis, tendinopathy, bursitis, arthritis. Um, so that's, um, that's how I look at things. Um, again, you don't have to listen to me. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. And if you want to put those needles in, go for it. Um, as long as your patients are getting better at the end of the day, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, as long as they're happy and, um, and you're happy, that's great. I just think, um, sometimes we overthink and Yonda didn't use needles and was one of the greats of rehabilitation. So he didn't have to put any extra things into the bursa or the knee or knee joint or the shoulder joint, etc., and was able to get awesome results by just treating the muscle imbalances. So I kind of feel like in many ways, I just, I think Yonda gave us so much uh, to work from and I just translate it into an acupuncture treatment. Um, and it works. So, okay, so I've probably gone over um, 18 minutes. So um, I'll leave it there, just so you know. Uh, I've heard the feedback. I will continue to have long hands-on sessions for people to learn. Um, and hopefully I'll continue to give clear explanations of complex issues so that people can apply them uh, as soon as they get back to their clinic. And I heard people say, keep recording uh, podcast episodes. So I will continue to do that too. And uh, I guess until, well, I don't know if I'll be able to record next weekend, but I'll, I'll record as soon as I can. I'm, I'm flying over the weekend. You know, it's like a full day of flying from Australia. And, uh, and then I'm driving back to Buffalo. So we'll see. But um, I will talk to you soon.
All right, have a good one.